are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Turn, please, for a text to John chapter 8, and we'll read this text, and then we'll move on. Now, I'm reading this as a text primarily, then we'll leave it, and we'll go to the main scripture. I'm using tonight the subject, the greatest sermon ever preached. The greatest sermon ever preached. Who preached it? Where did he preach it? What did he preach? And what happened? Now, in John 8, we read these words in verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. I'll read that verse one more time. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Now I know as I read that verse of Scripture, uh, there's nothing significant about it or outstanding, just reading it alone and leaving it there. But as we build around it other scriptures, you'll see what I'm talking about. Now look at John 8 and verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees, not bootleggers, not gangsters, not thieves, not robbers, but the Pharisees, the religious crowd, The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Now, what did they say? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. They said, you are, you're not. Now you say, preacher, that isn't in the Bible. Oh, yes, it is. Here's what they said. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, Thy record is not true. That's the religious way of calling a man a lie. Now, sinners look each other in the face and say, you a liar. They don't put any frills on it. But this is a gang of religious people speaking to the Son of God. He said, I'm the light of the world. They said, you're not the light of the world. You a liar. You bear a record of yourself, and your record is not true. If his record was not true, then his record was a lie. Amen? Say it. All right. So they said, you a liar. Now, Jesus said, when you fellows get me on the cross, my father will tell you who I am. But now, wait a minute. That's not all they said. Look at verse 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered, who? The bootleggers? No. Gangsters? No. Listen, I'd rather have 17 bootleggers mad at me than one backslidden Baptist. Amen. Any time. There's not a sinner in this country that'll treat you as dirty as a disgruntled church member. Amen. Talk to these pastors. They'll tell you about it. I feel so sorry for God's pastors. I don't know what to do. I mean that. I mean it. My job is easy compared to God's pastor. Now, I didn't say a hireling. The Bible talks about hirelings, and the Bible talks about the true under-shepherds of God. But a true pastor has the most difficult job on the face of this earth and he's the least appreciated of any man on the face of the earth and pastoring a church as it should be pastored is ten times harder than the work of an evangelist i mean that i tell you beloved god bless you i don't know how some of god's dear preachers i mean this from the from the depths of my heart with all the sincerity god will give me i don't know how some of god's preachers can look out over the congregation on Sunday morning and see some of the people that he knows would run him off if they could get away with it and still stay sweet in his soul. See, I don't have to worry about that. I come to town, I look at you, I don't know you. I know some of you are the best folks in the world. And I know there's some other folks in Chattanooga, if they swallowed a keg of nails, they'd cough up a barrel of corkscrews. Amen, I know that. So I just look out over the crowd, feed the sheep, dehorn the billy goats, and leave. Amen. And then the poor preacher has to live with them after I'm gone. It takes a lot of grace. Listen, it takes a lot of grace. It takes a lot of 
grace to pastor a church today. All right, so they said, Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, truth shall be free. Verse 33, they answered, same bunch, same gang. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They said, you can't set us free. We've never been in bondage. And that's the thing that plagues God's pastor more than the bootleggers, the gangsters, the liars, and the thief. A bunch of church members that were churched and never saved. And one of the curses today in the South is looking at records and numbers and building up a membership instead of getting people born again. And they're more concerned about the report at the convention than they are the salvation of the sinner. Say, who are you talking about? I don't know if your phone's ringing and answer it. I just dial the numbers. All right. Now watch it. Watch it now. They said we be Abraham's seed. We're the descendants of Abraham. You can't set us free. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sins, the service sin, and the servant by not in the house, fair but the son. Now, I'll skip to save time. I'd like to read it all, but I can't. But wait. The dirtiest is yet to come. And watch it. In verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Now watch it. Then said they, the same bunch, the Pharisees, the same gang that said, You're not the light of the world. You bear record of yourself. Your record is not true. You're a liar. They said, you can't set us free. We've never been in bondage. Now they say, we're Abraham's seed. But listen, Jesus said, you're of your father the devil. Then they said, watch it now. You do the deeds of your father. Watch verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. They said unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Now listen, that is the religious way of insulting a man in the most vile, subtle, despicable way that a man can be insulted. They said, we know who our daddy is. You don't know who your daddy is. We're not the product of fornication. You were conceived out of wedlock, and we know it. Who's your daddy? We know your mother, but we also know that you were, your mother was found a child before she and Joseph were married. We know who our daddy is. Who's your daddy? Those are fighting words, brethren. Amen. Those words, God bless you, will stir a man like no other words that could ever be hurled into a man's face. You are an illegitimate. We know who our daddy is, but you don't know who your daddy is. Jesus said, that's all right, fellas. When you get me on the cross, my father will tell you. Now give me your attention, please. And let me say just a few brief things and then we'll go to the main scripture. This gang, I tell you, turn to Matthew 27 so I can prove what I'm going to say from the word of God. The gang that I'm talking about were not a crowd of pagan unbelievers. They were not a crowd of heathen. The gang that were present on that day and the gang that said, you are a liar. You're not the light of the world. The gang that said you can't set us free. We've never been in bondage. The gang that said we know who our daddy is. Who's your daddy? They were not a gang of reprobates. They were not 
They were the gang that followed the Son of God from the very day he came on the scene of his public ministry. And there was no excuse for their ignorance. Now watch it. In Matthew 27, verse 35, they crucified him in Pilate's garments, casting lots. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken with the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots, and sitting down they watched him there. So there are more sermons in this chapter, I think, than one chapter in the Bible. That bunch is dead and gone and buried, but they have some great, 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 great grand youngins in every Baptist church I've ever been in. They sit back and watch. Watchers. We have a lot of good Baptists in Greenville, good for nothing. So they sat down. Now look at verse 37. And they set up over his head his accusation written, Jesus, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now watch it. Verse 38. Then were the two thieves crucified with him on the right and one on the, on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, now watch it. Thou that destroys the what? Tell me. Now you folks talk to me. And we'll get along a lot better. Just talk to me as I ask you the questions. You have your Bible. And it'll make a deeper impression upon the folks who don't have a Bible. And saying, thou that destroys the what? Say Temple. Now I'm not trying to be smart or funny either. But when did Jesus make the statement? When did the Son of God say destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Did he say it at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of the first year of his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, or just before his crucifixion? When did Jesus say, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up? When did he say that? Now, if I told you folks you're that ignorant, you'd run me out of town, and rightly so. But you won't answer my question, and I know you know. When did Jesus say to a group, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up? When he said it. He said it just after he changed the water into wine, and he planted cords, made a whip out of cords, and chased that bunch out of the temple, turned over the tables, and he, you know the story, and he said, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up. And of course, they thought he was talking about the church, we'd say, the temple, of course, in Jerusalem. But he wasn't talking about the temple, he was talking about his body. Is that right? Say it. Now then, the only reason in the world I bring that up, listen, the only reason in the world I bring that up, the same bunch that he chased out of the temple that day, that's the gang that said, you are, you're not the light of the world. They sat under his ministry and followed him for three and a half years. They saw him heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the hungry, cleanse the lepers, open blinded eyes. They saw his miracles, but they had their minds made up. They would not believe him. But Jesus said, that's all right. When you fellows nail me to the cross, my father will tell you who I am. Now let me say this. And I love you. And I'm your friend. And if you want to know who isn't your friend, it's this gang of back-scratching, air-tickling, compromising, gospel-dodging, scissor-tail-coat-wearing preachers that won't tell you that you're going to hell unless you're born in hell. They're not your friend. A man that'll stand in the pulpit and look you straight between the eyes and tell you without the shedding of blood there is no remission and except a man be born again, he's your friend. And that bird that says, come down and shake my hand, sign a card, line up with us, let us baptize, brother, you'd better stay away from that spiritual thief. All right. I say this in tenderness. I say this in love. I say this with all the compassion that God will give me. If Ray Lindsay can't convince you, and if these ministers can't convince you, and if the Word of God can't convince you, and if I can't convince you, God Almighty will. Amen. It won't take God but three seconds to convince you that this book is right. Amen. Now, Saying, look at verse 40, wagging their heads, verse 39, 
Matthew 27, 40, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and builds three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down on the cross. Now, it made that bunch mad, and they never got over it. When Jesus said something about that beautiful temple that they said we were 40 years building, 40 years of hard labor, and this upstart tells us, tear it down, I'll build it in three days. Took us 40 years to do it. They never got over it. Never got over it. Three and a half years, they saw every miracle he did. They followed him, they heard him, they watched him. But they never forgot. That's the fellow that said, destroy this temple and I'll build it in three days. Of course, they were ignorant. They didn't know what he's talking about. The unbeliever... Receiving not the things of the Spirit of God, he can't know them, the natural man. And we still have the same species of ignorance in the church today. And God to help us to get back to the Bible, read the Bible, let the Bible say what the Bible says and keep our mouths shut. And preach, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Now then, we have a crowd today. They don't care how much you take God's name in vain. You can curse God, curse Jesus, curse everything under the sun. But don't you say anything about the Baptists. I asked a fellow in Greenville in the Tabernacle Baptist Church Christmas Revival. I went back to him and I said, are you saved, sir? He said, I'm a Baptist. I said, I don't think the Lord will hold that against you. He can save you too. <laughs> I'm sure glad God can save Baptists. That's what I was, and he saved me. But he say, preacher, if I were you, if I were you, if I was a Baptist, I certainly would brag about it. I don't. Too many of them in the penitentiary. Some out that ought to be in. I brag on Jesus Christ. Baptists will disappoint you, but the Son of God will never disappoint you. I don't brag on Baptists. Some of these birds say, I'm not a good Baptist. I say, I am, and they're not. Amen. I brag on Jesus Christ. But let me serve notice on you. I am a Baptist. And I've been a Baptist ever since God saved me. But 24 long years ago, I severed relations with the machine for a good reason. And I'm an independent Baptist, but I'm not isolated. I told the folks here last night, we have some independent Baptists in Greenville, South Carolina. They're so independent, the termites out of the cells of their church won't fellowship with termites out of another church. Amen. That's right. They wouldn't be caught flying together. But I'm a Baptist. And the reason I'm a Baptist, I believe true Baptist doctrine is just as near to Bible doctrine as any doctrine on the face of the earth. And a little bit nearer. Amen. I believe that. And I wouldn't belong to any church. I couldn't support the program of that church. All right, so read on now. They said, that's the fellow. Now save yourself. Look at verse 41. Likewise, the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, he saved others, himself cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. No, they wouldn't. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. You know, you can imagine a bunch of just ordinary folks. When there is mob violence and a riot, and I'll have to say this. Uh, lady came up last night and said, Preach, could I have a copy of that sermon? I said, No, ma'am. She said, Don't you write your sermons out? I said, No, ma'am. She said, Why? I said, I don't want the devil reading them before I preach them. Amen. That's why I don't write them. So you see all the notes I have tonight, a big one, two, three in red. That's all the notes I have. I'm not against making notes. Don't you misunderstand me. I believe a sermon ought to be prepared, outlined, studied, and preached. And I never condemn a preacher for bringing a notebook to the pulpit. The reason I don't bring one, I haven't got sense enough to follow. It's in my way. Amen. So I just leave it out. Now watch this verse. The chief priest... And the scribes and the elders. Some of you Baptist preachers, bless God, you never see the whole deacon board there until they're ready to vote you out. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Amen's a dying out now. Yes, sir. 
They're coming from outside. <laughs> They're Baptist preachers. Look at me. Look up here at me right now. Look at me. They're Baptist preachers sitting in this auditorium right now that have been pastor of a Baptist church and you didn't see some of your deacons for six months until the Sunday they got ready to vote you out. Then every one, every one of those buzzards that hadn't been there was sitting on the front seat. Amen. Shame Now here's what I want you to see. Do you see that bunch of scissor tail coat parading priests out there on Calvary Hill walking up and down in the dust and looking up at the cross and saying, there he is, that's him. He saved others himself he cannot save. That's the fellow that said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. There he is. Listen, you never see the dignitaries until they get ready to throw you out. Or when you want to get out of the convention, swear out a warrant, and take the property away from the folks that paid for it with sweat, blood, and tears. Amen. I know what I'm talking about, brother. I know. And listen, it's not going to get any better. These fellows have been screaming revival, revival. They talk about revival. We're having a revival in America. I wish you'd find it. I'd like to get in it. I'd like to go. We're having a gigantic church joining. I went in a new Baptist church about a year and a half ago, and the pastor showed me the new auditorium. He said, Preacher, isn't this marvelous? I said, Sure is. He said, We seat 900. Amen. I said, How many members you got? He said, 4,500. Built a new auditorium, seat 900 with 4,500 members. Nine from 15 is six, and that leaves three. He's got 3,600 he needs to put the skids under and get rid of. I know you're not coming back, but I'm going to dehorn you while I got you. Amen. I'll cut your horns off. Yeah. All right. Now, read on down. We'll get to the scripture after a while. This is introduction. Read on. He saved others himself. He cannot try. He cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down the cross. We'll believe. No, they wouldn't. Verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. Now watch this. We're getting down to the first point in what I say is the greatest sermon ever preached. And here's what we find. Now see, all that gang passing by, wagging their heads, sticking out their lips, mocking, sneering, jeering, laughing. And the chief priests and the dignitaries are out there, and they're mocking. They said he trusted in God, verse 43, watch it. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he'll have him, he said, I'm the son of God. And the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now look up here at me and let me make a statement, then I'll give you point number one. Now watch it. There's the mob around the cross, chief priests, dignitaries, big shots, all of them. And they're laughing and sneering and jeering. And finally, the chief priest said he trusted in God. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him. Let God deliver him. He, he, if he'll have him. He said, I'm the son of God. Here's what they said. They said he trusted in God. If God respects him and if God owns him and if God claims him, why don't God do something? And the thieves said, Amen. Why don't God do something? That's the fellow that said, I'm the son of God. That's the fellow that said, I and my father are one. That's the fellow that said, I proceed from above. That's the fellow that said, I am the light of the world. That's the fellow that said, I'll set you free. And that's the fellow that we said, you are a liar. You're not the light of the world. You can't set us free. And you don't even know who your daddy is. And he said, when you fellows nail me to the cross, my father will tell you who I am. And when the chief priest and the dignitaries ran back and said, He said, I'm the son of God. Why don't God do something? God did. Next verse. 45. Now in the sixth hour, now from the sixth hour, there was, say it, darkness over all the said, over all the land until how long? Ninth hour. 
Now listen. And it won't take near as long to finish as it has taken to get where I am now. And I mean that sincerely. And the laughing's over. Thank God for folks who can laugh. I wouldn't pastor a church six weeks, bless God, and the people sit out there and look at me like statues. God deliver me from a Baptist that can holler the ball game and weep around the television and sit in church, bless God, uh, just like a knot on a log, just as empty as the last year's bird's nest and just as dry. I wouldn't preach to you till the water got hot. The church ought to be the liveliest place in the community. God's people have something to be lively about. Amen. Now, when the chief priest and the dignitaries right back and said, he said, I'm the son of God. If God cares anything about him, if he's God's child, if God loves him, why don't God do something? And God did the one thing that would cause more people to stop dead still and look and listen and think than any other one thing that God could have done. God Almighty said to the chief electrician of heaven and earth and all the solar systems, God said, pull the main switch and block it out. And God did. And this earth turned as black as the sackcloth of hair. And there was no light. And the thing that made it so significant, the earth went black while the man was dying who said, I'm the light of the world. And they said, you're a liar, you're not. And Jesus said, when you get me on the cross, you'll find out. Now let me tell you something, buddy. You may drink a pint of Smoky Mountain moonshine and never bat an eye. I'm sorry I have a drink. I'm sorry I know the taste of liquor. But I drank. And some of you fellows may be here. And you boast that I can drink a pint flat-footed, never bat an eye. Yeah, you may. And you may cuss to a tune. And you may be the bully of the town. And you may be the number one hot shot and big shot. But it won't take but three seconds of eternity to soften your hide and convince you that you've lived the life of a fool. You may never be convinced in Chattanooga, but God Almighty will change your life. There are no unbelievers in hell. They're all believers now. There are no atheists in hell. They're believers now. They're in hell. They're in hell, but they're not atheists. They believe now. But they'll burn forever. There are not many infidels. There are a few. If you know one, there's one sure way to find out if he's genuine. Invite him down to your church and take him in the men's prayer room and draw a circle with chalk ten feet in diameter and get 25 of the best Christians you know that know how to pray and put the infidel right in the middle of the line and then get 25 good praying men around him in a circle and start praying for God to kill him. If he keeps his natural color, he's an infidel. If he turns white under the eyes and red on the tip of his ears, he's a stinking liar. A man that doesn't believe there's a God shouldn't mind for you pray to God to kill him. Amen. Say, huh? But you let one of those cussing birds get out here on the highway and get pinned under an automobile, let the thing catch on fire, and then see who he calls on. You'd better do your praying while you've got sense enough to pray. You'd better do your praying while you're able to pray. You'd better do your praying before you step in the presence of God Almighty. You say, I'll take my chance, Mr. Green. You're not taking a chance. You're taking a leap in the hell with your eyes open. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Not one little section. Not one continent. But all the land. Darkness. Not semi-darkness, not twilight, 
Not dawn, darkness. There's never been a night. And I think I've been out some dark ones, some foggy ones, and some of you folks have. But there's never been a night that it was so dark if you stay out in the yard or out in the open long enough for your eyes, the pupils of your eyes, to become uh, acclimated. There's never been a night so dark that you couldn't see shadows and outlines of buildings and trees. But you go over here in Ruby Falls, and it's been 22 years since I went down and saw Ruby Falls. 22 years ago, about 22 years ago, I guess it was, I went down, and the guide carried us back to what they call a cathedral, where the falls fall, you know, many of you have been. How many of you folks have been in Ruby Falls? Raise your hand. Many of you. And they cut out all the lights. And I recognize the first time real darkness. You go down in a coal mine, or you go into a photographer's dark room, or you go down in Ruby Falls and cut out all the lights. And, mister, you can't see a shadow right in front of your eyes. It's dark. Amen? Say, huh? Now, I'm saying that to say this. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, that's one, two, three. And there's 60 minutes in one hour, three sixties add up to 180. For 180 solid, black, dark minutes, they stood around that cross while the man was bleeding and dying that said, I'm the Lord. And they didn't know whether the lights would ever shine. They said, you can't kid us. You're not the light of the world. You bear record of yourself. And your record is untrue, therefore you are a liar. You can't set us free. We be Abraham's descendants. I don't care if your daddy's a preacher and your mother's a missionary and your granddaddy was a preacher and your grandmother's a missionary and your great-granddaddy was a preacher and your great-granddaddy was a missionary. You must be born again or go to hell. You'll get saved for yourself. But now, they remember. And I can hear those old rabbis, those old priests say, He said, when you nail me to the cross, my father will tell you that I do not do these things of myself and I do not speak these things. When you fellas get me on the cross, my father will tell you who I am. Oliver Green may not convince you. These pastors may not convince you. The radio preachers may not convince you. The word of God may not convince you. But God Almighty will. You'll change your tune and you'll wish to God you could get back to Chattanooga. Point number one, God turned out the lights. Put a six-weeks-old baby in the cellar. Pull down all the shades if there are any windows that bring in light. Turn out all the lights. Shut the door. Give that baby the best formula that any doctor can prescribe. And keep that baby in the dark a year. Bring it out and look at it. You can't live without light. I'm talking about physical light. So when God turned out the lights, God wrote finished across physical existence. How long has it been since you got up in the morning and said, Thank you, Father, for this food. Thank you, Father, for a good night's rest. Thank you, Father, for the light of a new day. You better stop and thank God for that, son. He sends it. The devil doesn't send the sunlight. God Almighty sends it. Amen. Answer me. You better thank God for the good things of life, brother. The devil, listen, if the devil had had his way, he'd have broke your neck this morning when you got out of bed and damned your soul and you'd have been in hell before you had a cup of coffee. And yet you ignore God and serve the devil. God pity you and God wake you up before the lights go out on you. Now, 
about the ninth hour. Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why stop saying me? And some of them said that he's calling for Elias. And straightway that means immediately. One ran, took a sponge, and filled it with vinegar, and put it on a reed, a stick, or a weed, and gave him drink. The rest said, let be, let him alone. They're not convinced yet. Let him alone. Let's see if Elias will come to save him. Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost. Now look up here at me just a minute. God forbid that I try to play on your sympathy. I'm not asking for sympathy. I want your prayers. But two times in the last five years, I've been just as near death as any human can be and come back. Just a few weeks ago, I started again, and God was merciful and For some reason that I don't understand, God stopped the hemorrhage. Last time I had 19 pints of blood. The first time I had 18 pints of blood. And I'm saying all that to say this. When they rolled me in the operating room, the doctor said I had less than three hours to live. And told my wife he wouldn't give two cents for my life. I'd had 18 pints of blood. And he said, Mrs. Green, as fast as we pour it in, it runs out. He's dying. I couldn't raise my hand, brethren. I was so weak, I couldn't raise my hand. I got in the operating room. They rolled me over on the table and picked up my hands and folded them across my chest. A man that's bleeding and has the life of the flesh is in the say it what? And when you lose your blood, brother, your strength is gone, right? And some of you boys are on the battlefield. You know how the whispers of the dying soldier broke your heart. Through those parched lips, as you saw the great pool of blood, he called for water. But he didn't holler, did he? He didn't scream, did he? He whispered. But Jesus didn't whisper. He cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. He said, Father, here's my life, and he passed it to him. And he died. And God took his second point. I I tell you, I'm trying to go fast tonight. God's the preacher. I said last night, Jesus wasn't the preacher. He wasn't. God's the preacher. God thought Calvary. God wrought Calvary. God permitted Calvary. And God struck the death blow at Calvary. Because it was God in a body of flesh. And God said in Jesus, no man taketh my life. I have the power to lay it down. And I lay it down of myself. And no man take. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that that gang of dirty Jews killed Jesus. They demanded his death. But God Almighty smote him. And he died for you. No man taketh my life. Amen. Is that scripture saying? All right. Now, here's God, God's the preacher. Heaven is the pulpit. Point number one, God said, right, finished. Across physical life, turn out the lights. And the sun went black, and the moon went black, and the stars went black. All the solar system blacked out. And there they stood for 90 minutes. In darkness, so thick you could cut it with a knife. Point number two. Verse 54, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from where? One word. Say it out loud, brethren, where? Top to what else? And the earth did quake and the rocks split or rent. Now we'll stop there. We'll stop there just a moment. Point number two. Point number one, God wrote finished across physical life. I don't care what you say about it. I don't care what you think about it. I don't, it doesn't make any difference. You owe your physical existence to God Almighty. God is the author of life. And God wrote finished across life. Now, point number two, God wrote finished across religion, Judaism. Now, the veil was rent in twain at I say exactly. You modify it if you want to. You remember they were observing Roman time. 
the Romans were in power. So there was darkness over all the land from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. And the ninth hour would have been at three o'clock in the afternoon. And that's when the evening sacrifice was being offered. There's the old high priest, God's representative, of course, under law. I talked about him last night when I preached on the subject, the time when God could no longer say, let there be, and it was. 4,000 years God's sovereignty, God's omnipotent wisdom and understanding and might and power. 4,000 years God wrought the seed of the woman to bruise the serpent's head. Now, there's the old priest about to offer the evening sacrifice. Just as he raises the knife to slay the lamb, there's a terrible tearing and a terrible sound of tearing and he looks up in the veil that separated man from the holy of holies and the mercy seat where Shekinah glory danced on the mercy seat. That thing was split wide open from top to bottom and God Almighty wrote finished across Judaism. And the thing that makes it so significant, it happened at the moment the man died who said, I am your high priest. And they said, you are liar. You are not our high And he said, when you fellows get me on the cross, my father will tell you who I am. You know, some folks won't hear a spoken sermon. They have to see an illustrated one. Like some husbands. They cuss their wife and damn her. And treat her like a dog. She goes to Sunday school and dresses those young ones you're responsible for being in the world and you lie there sleeping off a hangover. And she comes home and because your dinner's not ready you have a fit. And you cuss and stomp and holler. It's one that God don't kill you. And if God wasn't God, God would kill you. And if God wasn't God... God let some of you die with hog cholera. But because God has so much respect for hogs, he won't let some buzzards die like that. Amen. But a man that'll bring a gang of little babies in the world, then let a woman drag them off to Sunday school and him lie in bed half drunk on Sunday morning, and then cuss her when she comes home. He's worn down on a hog. Say, who are you talking about, preacher? I still don't know. If your phone's ringing, answer it. My directory has your number. A few short years ago, the telephone company announced D, D, D. We preachers have always had it. D, D, D in the phone book stands for direct distance dialing. We preachers have always had that. Amen. We don't have to know what you are. God knows and God whispers in our ears and he tells us which way to shoot. Amen. God knows where you're sitting. God's got you. And God can take off more hide for square inch than any preacher that ever lived. God's got your number, buddy. You may have the wool pulled over Ray Lindsay's eyes. But you don't have any wool pulled over God's eyes. He knows it. All right. I see that old priest come out the door of that temple screaming, screaming, screaming to the top of his voice, maybe pulling his hair. My God, my God, my God. The veil is wrecked. And mister, without that veil, the Jew could not worship. He had to have that temple. He had to have that veil. He had to have that mercy seat. He had to have that high priest. And listen. Under the law. It meant sudden death. For anyone except God's appointed high priest. To go behind that veil. Amen. Say huh. Now it's wide open. It's split. It's torn. It's laid bare. The mercy seat. The holy of holies. And now anyone can go in. Amen. And it happened 
at the very moment the man said, I am the light of the world. I'll set you free. And they said, we know who you are. We're not the product of fornication. We know who our daddy is. Jesus said, that's all right, fellas. When you get me on the cross, my father will tell you. And he did. Now, if you have a good Bible encyclopedia, a good Bible, a book of Bible antiquity, commentators do not agree. But I've read every one I can find, and some of them say that veil was three inches thick, and the one that I read that gives it the least thickness said it was an inch. And it was hand-woven out of pure linen. And mister, this is cotton. That's a cotton hanky. You fold that thing that many times and there's not a man in the house that can tear it. And there's not too many men here that can tear it when I just double it. And that veil hung limp. It was fastened at the top and it hung like this. And Mr. She split wide open from the top to the bottom. And when that gang looked in that temple door and saw that pure linen veil, at least an inch of pure linen, wide open, and there where Shekinah glory danced on the mercy seat, laying bare, they knew that mortal hands didn't do it. And the thing that made it so significant, it happened when the Son of God died, who said, I'm God's representative. Believe on me and I'll set you free. Now, I must hurry. Point number one, God wrote finished across physical life. Point number two, God wrote finished across religion. And religion is damning this country. Religion. Most folks have it. But religion and salvation is two different things. You say, don't every man have a right to his own religion? Sure he does. If you want to go to hell, make yourself one. But you can't go to heaven unless you believe what Jesus Christ said. He said, I am the door. Amen. Say He said, I am the way. Right. Say He said, I am the truth. Amen. Say He said, I am the life. And he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Point number three. I read to get the connection. Verse 54. Well, let me read verse 50. I said verse 54. I think a minute ago it's verse 51. I don't know why I said 54. I'm sorry I misled you if you didn't find it. Let me read verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again, with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the G-R-A-V-E-S, what does that spell? Grave. The graves were O-P-E-N-E-D. What does that spell? Graves were open. Now, I see something tonight that I've never seen. This is one of those sermons I preach and make no apology for preaching. In almost every revival I conduct. I preached a brand new one last night, but this is not new. I've preached it many times. If I live, I'll preach it many more times. But that's the precious thing about the gospel. You read it, reread it, memorize it, quote it, go back and read it and see something you never saw before. And I see something here tonight that I've never said from the pulpit. My wife and I discussed it last evening. And the graves were open. And I see no reason for believing there was a time element between... The rent veil, the rent rocks, and the open graves. They were opened when Jesus died. I've never seen it. I've never preached it. Because the next verse says, and came out of the graves after A-F-T-E-R. That was three days later, brother. So all the Jews at Cadu visited the cemetery just outside of Jerusalem and saw their dead loved ones in the open graves. They were there. They didn't put them in caskets. They saw their bones. They didn't see their body. Of course, the body 
already deteriorated, but they saw their bones. They wrapped them in linen, and they buried them. And of course, time decayed the linen. The flesh went back to dust. But those graves were open, and there were the bones of the dead in open graves for three days Amen. before the resurrection. Amen. Anybody that had a grain, a common horse sense, would know that only supernatural hands could have opened those graves. They had 72 hours to think before the big bombshell exploded, the greatest bombshell ever to explode in the face of an unbelieving world. You can explain away his virgin birth if you want to, and you can explain away his crucifixion by saying he's a criminal, and if he'd have behaved himself, he wouldn't have been crucified. Go ahead and explain away. But, mister, they've never explained away his resurrection. Hallelujah. And 500 saw him at one time. You get, you get, you get 500 eyewitnesses to testify against you, and you'll go to the electric chair. Amen. You can't deny 500 testimonies. You may deny one or two or a dozen, but Mr. The Bible clearly says 500 brethren saw him at one time. Amen. Amen. Now let me hurry. Let me hurry. Watch it. The graves were open. G-R-A-V-E-S. Graves. After his resurrection. They went to the Holy City. Where's Holy City? Tell me, where is it? Went to Holy City and they appeared under about a half a dozen people. Huh? Huh? They appeared under a few. Talk to me. Talk to me. Many. In my language, we have many folks here tonight. But in the language of some preachers, this wouldn't be a handful. They said, the men, the ushers said last night we had 700. I suppose tonight, inside, we have 550, maybe. Six, I don't know. But 600 people, some preachers... Wouldn't half fill the choir. But to me, there are many folks here tonight. But in the name of common sense, what would many mean in God's language? Many. When God says many, how many? You put all the thousands you want to in there, brother. And you still have room for some more. Many. Now you get this. My Bible says... The veils split, the rocks split, and graves open, G-R-A-V-E-S, open, and B-O-D-I-E-S. What does that spell? How many of you folks know what a body is? Raise your hand. Boy, there's one thing I can say about this crowd tonight. You're an ignorant bunch. Amen. You sure are. Now, you go ahead and smile. If you don't, I'm going home with you. Amen. I can't tell you. You better smile. But you, how many of you folks know what a body is? Raise your hand. If you don't know what a body is when you get home, look in the mirror. You won't like what you see, but there it is. It's a body. Not spirits. Not spirits. God deliver me from this bunch of hates. Always spiritualized. I'm not going to be a spirit. I'm not going to be an angel. I'm going to be like Jesus. Hallelujah. Like Jesus. Amen. I'm going to have a body. All right, bodies. Bodies came out of the graves. Bodies of the saints went into the holy city, and that's Jerusalem. Bodies of the saints appeared to many. Now let me hurry, but let me illustrate. Your pastor's been to Jerusalem. I don't know why God ever let an unworthy boy from the cotton fields of Greenville County go to Jerusalem, but ten years ago, I guess it's been over ten years ago now, probably twelve, I had the privilege of going to Jerusalem. And I spent ten weeks, the wife and I, in the Bible countries. And I had the privilege of sitting and looking at Calvary and going in the garden tomb. I walked the streets of Jerusalem, the street of David. I was there. The thing that I want you to see is this. I see an old Jewish rabbi 
It goes in the little old crude post office. I know they didn't have things like we have them today. But I see this old Jewish rabbi with all of his religious garb on go into the post office and he gets a letter. We'll say it's from Joppa or maybe Jericho or maybe it's from Capernaum. And he opens that letter and he comes out of the post office reading that letter. We'll say it's from one of his fellow rabbis. He walks right slow and he's reading his letter. He steps outside the little post office in Jerusalem and he leans up against the door of the little post office and he finishes reading the letter. When he finishes reading his letter, he folds it up and he begins to put it in his pocket. And when he slips the letter in his coat pocket, he automatically raises his eyes and he looks down the street of David and he freezes in his tracks and his eyes get bigger and goose pimples begin to run up his backbone and his arms turn purple and he rears back and he says, My God, there's my mother coming down the sun. Amen. And he backs up. And he backs up. And he backs up. And he said, that's her. That couldn't be anybody but my mother. And she keeps coming. And she says, Nicodemus, this is your mother, but son, don't run. Just wait a minute. Just wait a minute, Nicodemus. You've been in Jerusalem for the past three days. And you know what's happened. Son, you remember the Messiah promised and prophesied in the scroll of Isaiah. And you remember when you sat on my knee and I read it to you. And I said, son, believe it. I said he's coming wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. You remember, son, well, you fellows demanded his death he arose, and we've come out of the grave, and he's going to take us to the paradise above now, shall Amen. Mister, mister, the thing that makes it so significant, just a few days ago, he said, I'm the light of the world, and they said you are. He said, I'll set you free, and they said you can't. He said, I'm the son of God. And they said, you're an illegitimate. You're the product of fornication. And he said, when you get me on the cross, my father will tell you who I am. And the thing that makes it so significant, the bodies of the saints walked the streets of Jerusalem when he who said, I am the resurrection and the life, he that believeth in me shall never die. Hallelujah. That's the thing that makes it so significant. Hallelujah for the resurrection. You may not be convinced tonight. You may not be convinced in Chattanooga. God's preachers may never convince you. May I have your attention? May I have your undivided attention? God's preachers may never convince you. This Bible may never convince you. But God Almighty will. What happened, preacher? Monte. Turn back to same chapter. Matthew 27. What happened? Here's what happened. The lights went out. God wrote finished across physical existence. The veil was rent. God wrote finished across religion. The graves were opened. God said, this is the resurrection. Here he is as living evidence. What happened, preacher? Verse 54. Now when the centurion, he was a Roman, and the Bible dictionary tells us that the centurion usually had 120 soldiers in his company. So just for the sake of example, we'll say that here's a man with 120 soldiers, and he's in charge of the immediate vicinity of Calvary, or the cross, I should say. Now when the centurion, and they that were with him, watching Jesus, 
They weren't watching the mob. They weren't watching the hypocrites. Some of you folks are. You say, I'm as good as some of those folks down to East Chattanooga time. Now, you haven't said a word yet, brother. Keep your mouth shut. Save your voice. You may be better than some of the folks that belong here, but that don't save you, and that won't make hell any lighter for you either, buddy. You get your eyes off hypocrites. Get your eyes off preachers. Get your eyes off evangelists. Get your eyes off Baptists. Get your eyes off church members. Get your eyes off people. They'll damn you. Get your eyes on Jesus. He'll save you. He'll save you. Listen. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If some of these Bible quoting, preacher damning, church cussing folks that say the reason I don't join the church is because of so many crooked preachers, so many crooked evangelists, so many crooked church members. That's the reason I don't join the church. And they can quote more scripture in two minutes than most Baptists can in two hours. If you could capture their brain. And if their brain, in their head, all of it, if you had all their brains, and if their brains was a hydrogen bomb, and all their brains exploded one time, there wouldn't be enough power to blow their shirt tail out. That's just how little they are. They haven't got sense enough to die. If they did, they'd drop dead. Sorry, good for nothing, 200 pounds of human flesh that's so little you'll go to hell over a hypocrite. If you ever do find a perfect church for Christ's sake and God's sake, don't join it. Leave well enough alone. Don't ruin a good thing. You'll never find a perfect church. But you'll find a perfect Savior anytime you want to find it. If you'll repent. Now let me finish this. The centurion. Watching Jesus. You'd better get your eyes on Jesus. Preachers will disappoint you. I'm sorry, but they're human. Amen. Human. Evangelists will disappoint you. They're human. Church members will disappoint you, but Jesus will never disappoint you. So the centurion had his eyes in the right place, and he saw the earthquake, and he saw those things that were done. Now look at your Bible, please. After done, there's a comma. They, the centurion and his soldiers, they, one word, say it, one word. Say it out loud. They feared how? Greatly. But you're not supposed to preach that kind of gospel today. You're not supposed to wave your arms and shake your fist and cry aloud and spare not. You're not supposed to unnerve people. You're supposed to be quiet and cunning and tender. There's never been a case of real, genuine salvation that was not preceded by godly fear. God deliver me from this streamlined card signing junk. Line up with us. Do better. Join us. Get born again. Amen. Amen. So they feared, and they did not only fear, they feared greatly. They feared greatly. Saying, truly, this man was whom said. Now here's what I base this statement on. I say, I'm just as sure I'll meet the centurion as I am I'll meet Lazarus. Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abram's bosom. And I plan to meet him. If you don't meet him, you'll meet the other fellow. And I'm not going to meet the other fellow. But I'm going to meet Lazarus. He's there. And I'm just as sure I'll meet the centurion as I am I'll meet Lazarus. Because my Bible says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Amen. Amen. And this man stood by that cross from the sixth hour till the ninth hour. 
He heard everything. He saw everything. He witnessed everything. He felt everything. He experienced everything. And when the Son of God died, he said, yes, he was. Son of God. Amen. Amen. And if you'll confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God will save you. Amen. I'm going to meet him. Amen. The greatest sermon ever preached. Because so far as I can find from Genesis to Revelation, it's the only sermon that ever touched every square foot of the universe and the solar systems. Everything went black. And if I, sh- I haven't, and I'm not going to, I wouldn't, I don't say it would be wrong, and I wouldn't criticize any one of these preachers if they did it. But if I knew the janitor, the, the custodian here, and if I had told him, when I give the signal, you pull the switch. If somebody pulled the switch and put these lights out, some of the babies would start screaming. And you'd hear oh and ah and sighs and long breaths. Am I right, Shayna? Yeah. But if these lights went out, you'd know that a switch, or rather a fuse was blown. Or the transformer had, uh, the fuses had blown in the transformer. Something's gone wrong with the power plant. And you'd know that they'd be back on in a few minutes and at the longest a few hours. But mister, when these lights went out and this earth turned as black as soot, it happened when the man on the middle cross said, when you fellas raise me up, my father will preach a sermon that you'll understand. And he did. You may never understand Oliver Green, Ray Lindsay, and these other fellows. But you'll understand God Almighty when He gets His hands on Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.